Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning. My name is Sarah. I'm part of the teaching and research team here at Movement Church, and we are starting our series today called Keeping Up with the Corinthians. Now, if you are as out of touch as I am, um, we're like, it's like a play on words, keeping up with the Kardashians. And I thought like, I should have something like funny to say about the Kardashians, but I have to tell you that I know nothing, okay? So if you're looking for like Kardashian trivia, you're gonna have to wait till next week when Mark is back because surprise, surprise, he knows a lot, okay? So I'm sure that he's got a lot of Kardashian things to share with you. Also, I found out today that Katie Grace Kissel, who is our producer, one of our producers here at Movement Church, um, you can find her in the back most weeks. She also knows a weird amount about the Kardashians. So feel free to embarrass her, interrupt her, and ask her what does she know, um, or chat with her about, you know, whatever Kardashian things there are to talk about. Um, But the whole concept here is as we dig into, we're going to begin with the book of 1 Corinthians. There are two books about the Corinthian church in our New Testament, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And as we dig in, we want to understand who these people were, and we want to understand what can we learn from their lives? What can we learn from what Jesus was doing in them and through them? What can we learn from their strengths, but also what can we learn from their weaknesses? So as just a bit of background about the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was started by Paul. Um, Paul is a guy that we read a lot about in the New Testament, and he actually wrote most of the letters that we find in our New Testament. He went on three missionary journeys that we have recorded for us in the book of Acts. And the church at Corinth was started during his second missionary journey. Now, Corinth is a city that still exists today. Um, The modern city is about three miles away from where the ruins of the ancient city was, but it's still close by. Um, Corinth, just to kind of give you a, a visual, it's in the country of Greece. It's about 45 miles west of where Athens is. And on Paul's second missionary journey, he had gone to Athens first. He spent some time there. It's a pretty interesting story if you want to read about it. It's in Acts chapter 17. And then he moves on to the city of Corinth. And in the city of Corinth, he begins to share the gospel and these people become Christ followers and so a church is started. And when he moves on, he leaves some people behind to continue to to invest in this church and lead this church. And then he eventually ends up in a city called Ephesus. Now, maybe you're familiar with the city of Ephesus. We have a letter in our New Testament that was written to this church called the book of Ephesians. But while Paul was in Ephesus, he writes a letter back to this church in Corinth. And we think that this letter was written probably in the year 54 or 55 AD. The church was started just a couple of years before that. And as you think about these Corinthian people, some of the things that you should know about them, this church is made up primarily of Gentiles. So my guess is that's like lots of us, not people who are Jewish in our heritage or Jewish in our faith, but people who are Gentile, who previously didn't have any connection to the God of the Old Testament. And Corinth was a pretty pagan city. 
Um, in the city of Corinth, uh, Corinth actually hosted the Itzmian Games, um, which was second in popularity only to the Olympic Games. And those games would take place every other year. So it was just this kind of cultural center of people coming and going from all these different places. And it was, it's located right on this Isthmus. That's where the name comes from, Isthmian Games. And so there were people actually who, instead of kind of sailing all the way around, it was narrow enough that they would kind of sail up and there, there were places where they could drag their boats across. And so because of that, it became almost like this port city. So there are people from all around the world that are coming and going. And so because of that, it becomes, we'll use the phrase that we hear used here, it becomes kind of a melting pot of cultures. There are people and there are languages and there are beliefs from all over the place. And so these people, they begin to embrace some things that as I list these off for you, they will probably sound familiar to us. They become people who are all about individualism and they're all about equality and they're all about personal freedoms. And we look at that and we go, you know what? There are a lot of things about this Corinthian church that sound a whole lot like us in America today. And I say that just to give us some context so that we can begin to understand these things that Paul is going to say to the church in Corinth, even though this was a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago, the things that he has to say to these people should strike pretty close to home for us as well. As people who live in a country that has been influenced and impacted by cultures all around the world, by ways of thinking that come from all around the world, not just because we have people from all around the world living here, but because we have these mini computers that we carry around in our pockets and we have access to what's happening around the world in the blink of an eye. And we are people who value independence and we value individualism and we value freedoms. And there can be some beauty in that, but man, can there also be some dangers. And so this is what we're gonna see as we jump into the book of 1 Corinthians today, that there are some really exciting things happening with these people, but also they've got some issues too. And so we're gonna start in 1 Corinthians chapter one today. We're actually gonna do the whole chapter, and if you know me, you're thinking, oh my, how long are we gonna be here? Um, we're gonna go quick through the first half, and then we're really gonna camp out in the second half, okay? So if you're using a Bible in the chair, uh, underneath your chair, it's page 870, 870, if you're using a Bible that you can find near you. Otherwise, 1 Corinthians chapter one in your own Bibles, or if your phone turns into a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter one. We're gonna begin by reading these first nine verses. And these first nine verses contain just an introduction. Um, if you're familiar with the letters of the New Testament, you know that this is how basically all letters are written. They begin with a here's who's writing and here's who I'm writing to, and then just a little bit of introductory things. First Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse one. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle by Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. 
through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul begins his letter in the same way that he begins many of his letters, not just introducing himself and not just identifying who this, who this letter has been written to, but also by reminding these people of what is true about them. He begins by saying these really beautiful things like, hey, Corinthians, you've been called to be holy. Hey, Corinthians, you have been enriched by God with every spiritual gift that you need. Hey, Corinthians, God is going to keep you strong to the end so that there is no one who can bring any blame against you. Now, I don't know what your week has been like, but if it has been anything like mine, those words feel like water in a desert. Men and women, you are followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are holy, you are gifted, and you are going to be kept strong to the end so that no one can bring any blame against you. I mean, like, let's just pack it up and go, right? Like, what else do we need this morning? Man, those words are beautiful. Paul begins by telling these Corinthians the things about them that are true. But he's not gonna stop there. This would be a very short letter if it was only just those nine verses. And then he says like, okay, cool, well, see you later, have a good day. What we're gonna find is that even though these things are true about the Corinthian church, it is not the way that they are currently living these things have been declared true about them. In the eyes of God, God sees them as holy and as blameless and as righteous, and yet their current way of living is not matching up to this. It's the way maybe that parents, sometimes you talk to your children when you say things like, I know that you're better than this. I know that you can behave better than the way that you're behaving. I know that you are a better person than punching your sister in the face for no reason. I know that you are a better person than taking those scissors and throwing them across your classroom and getting a detention. As a 10th grader, I had someone do that to me, okay? So I know that you're better than these things. I know that you can be, but you're not living in that space. And this is where Paul is going to take us next if we pick it up in verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow P Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized into the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. I like it that Paul is like, oh, wait a minute. I think, oh, I think it was just two, oh, maybe a few more. I, I don't know. Anyways, well, let's get back to the point, right? That's basically what he's saying. Verse 17. 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Okay, so we start in the first nine verses with Paul saying, hey, Corinthians, don't forget who you are. But now I need to address some things that are happening amongst you as a group of people. And one of the first issues that he brings up is that they are divided. Now we can't relate to this at all, right? People being divided over things. We have no concept of people not living in perfect harmony and unity with one another. Yeah, right. The church has become divided. And the issue that's dividing them at the moment is which celebrity pastor are you following? Because some are saying like, oh, you remember Paul? Like the first guy who came here and talked to us about Jesus? Yeah, he's the guy that led me to Christ. So I'm part of his team. We're like the A team. It's too bad that some of you are part of this Apollos team over here because that's like the B team. And so there's this argument that's happening where they're saying like, no, 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 no. My pastor is much more qualified than your pastor. No, 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 no. My pastor has more credentials than your pastor. And some people are going like, well, I don't really care about these pastors at all. I just, isn't this about Jesus? I'm not sure what's happening right now. And so Paul is saying, yes, you're holy and yes, you're gifted and yes, a day is coming that you will be kept strong till. And yet in the interim, you have lost sight of what we're trying to do here, people. Quit fighting. Why are you fighting with each other? And when we get to verse 18, we come to the real crux of the issue. Because as you sit here this morning, you're probably not thinking like, oh, don't fight. Yeah, cool, glad I came this morning. Didn't know that one. I'll make sure to make a note. Like, why does this matter? Why does unity matter? We hear it all the time that unity matters. And we hear people bemoaning the fact that there is not unity in our churches or unity in our country or unity in our families. But why does it matter? As we get to verse 18, we see that it matters for eternity. Chapter one, verse 18. We're just gonna read this verse and talk about it for a minute. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are, who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. Now, the way even that our, our Bibles are kind of formatted separate those two sections. You're disagreeing over things, stop doing that. Okay, now let's talk about the message of the cross. But Paul wrote this as one kind of continuous letter. And so these two ideas should be married to each other as we read them. The fact that these people are disagreeing and the, the reason that they're disagreeing is because they're saying like, I follow this important person and I follow this important person and what important person do you know? Who, who is your celebrity that you follow? Paul is saying, you're missing the point because let's think about what the message of the cross is. The message of the cross is foolish. Now, for some of us, we hear that and we go like, well, I don't like that. Like, I don't like it when people call me a fool. So why would I want what I believe to be foolish? And just to clarify, 
We're not talking about like, you know, you made a foolish decision and then you get like a terrible result. Um, we were talking about burns this morning. I burned my finger last week, it, which, whatever. Um, it's nasty, that's why I covered it up so you couldn't see it. Um, but it made me think about all of the other times that I've burned myself. This is apparently a pattern in my life. So when I was in college, I had one of those like, um, I lived in the dorm all four years, so I had one of those like little... Um, ironing boards, you know, that you could just like put on top of your desk or put on the floor. It wasn't a full-size one. It was just a small one with little legs. Now, I still own the same iron that I've owned for like 20 years because I iron basically nothing. If it's wrinkly, then I just don't buy it. Like I just, I buy only things that do not need to be ironed. Um, And so for whatever reason, I must, it was probably my freshman year because I was trying way too hard. I had these pants that needed to be ironed one morning And so I had gotten my like little tiny ironing board out, but of course um, our room was far too messy to like set it anywhere. So I sat on my bed and I just put the ironing board like on my lap, um, which seemed like this is fine, you know, like I'm not an idiot. And so I just have on like, I'm still like wearing my pajamas. So it's like shorts and a t-shirt, you know, and I have this like board on my legs and I put the iron right here. And then I reach to grab the pants and the iron rolls off and just like lands on me. And I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. (laughs) It was the worst. It was the worst. So like for the whole rest of the day, you know, like I still have to go to class. So for the whole rest of the day, I'm like, like, is it too awkward for me to like put my hand down my pants just so I can like, I need something cold on this burn right now. It was horrendous. It was, it's still scarred. Um, And then a few years later, I'm like sitting again in college sitting on my futon which all good college students have and I'm like doing some homework I think I was watching a movie on my computer and I had a cup of coffee which if you know me that's like my normal I always have coffee in my hands and I needed to grab something else and so this cup of coffee is full and I'm sitting cross-legged on this futon and I just stick the coffee like in the middle of my legs and I reach to grab something and of course the coffee spills all over me, just all over me, right? And I have jeans on and so it's just like, it's just burning all of my body. It was awful, it was awful, okay? So some of us, when we hear foolish, that's the kind of things that you're thinking. Now when you hear foolish, you're probably just gonna think of me. Um, Some of us, when we hear foolish, we think like, I made a foolish decision, so I get a foolish result. I deserved those things to happen to me because I was being an idiot. But chapter one, verse 18 says, the message of the cross is foolish. And the reason that Paul says that is because you need to think about what the message of the cross says. The message of the cross says that our God suffered The message of the cross says that my Messiah, my savior is a criminal. That's what the message of the cross is. Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted, and given the death penalty. That's the message of the cross. The message of the cross says that my God is not strong and powerful, but my God suffered and died. That's the message of the cross. Now, how many of us are upholding these heroes that are criminals? How many of us are walking around saying like, who do you wanna be like? Oh, I've got this whole list of people that are locked up in a maximum security prison. Those are the people that I'm like, hope I'm like them someday. No. 
And, and to take it, maybe even make it just a bit more practical, how often do you look at someone who is suffering, whatever that suffering is, maybe they're suffering physically, maybe they're suffering emotionally, maybe they're suffering in their jobs, and even though we can be empathetic to that and we say like, man, look at the way that they're still following Jesus in the middle of it. How often do any of us think, I hope someday I get to go through the kind of crap that they're going through. Oh, please God, give me the suffering. Now, maybe you're way more mature than I am, but I'm never like, more suffering, please. This year at my job was the worst, okay? Okay. If you work at my school or go to my school, this is nothing that you haven't heard me say before, so I'm not embarrassed. It was the worst. And I did not get to the end of the year and go like, you know what? I hope next year is even worse than this one. Suffering, love it. And yet what Paul is pointing out to us in verse 18 is that if we're actually taking the cross seriously, The message of the cross is that our God suffered as a criminal and died. And in addition to that, the message of the cross says, you are no good. That's the message of the cross. You're not good. I'm not good. I am never going to be enough. That's the message of the cross. My God suffered and died and I'm never going to be enough. The message of the cross is foolish. Who looks at that and says like, yeah, if I were God, that's the way I would do it. And yet when we understand what that message really means, the way Paul ends the verse is so true. We look at it and we begin to understand This is the way that God has chosen to display his power. This is the only way that it could be. I do not like it when people expose to me that I am not enough. I I hate it, actually. And yet, if I am truly going to embrace the message of the cross, It must be what I believe to be true about myself. And the world is going to tell you, that's foolish. No, 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 Sarah, don't believe such lies about yourself. Let me buy you some books so that you can understand how you are good enough. There is good in you. You can be all that you want to be. This is what the world is saying to you. This is what the world is saying to me. And the cross stands opposed to it and says, you will never be enough. This is why our God died. Now, if you don't believe me, let's continue to read. Look at verse 19. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say that it's all nonsense. 
Look, worldly wisdom demands reason. Explain it to me, prove it to me. Use the scientific method that I learned when I was in seventh grade and replicate the experiment to prove to me that this thing is true. And if you don't have some sort of airtight, reasonable, practical explanation, then I'm not interested in it. The wisdom of the world says there's an answer for everything. The wisdom of the world says most of those answers can be found inside of you. The wisdom of the world says we emulate and follow the strong, the powerful, the beautiful. That's the wisdom of the world. And Paul is telling us, God decided to take the wisdom of the world and destroy it all with something that seems so foolish to us that we have a God who suffers and who tells us that we are not enough on our own. Now, some of you are thinking like, this is like not very hopeful. Like what, what's happening, right? Like I'm glad I came today, I suck, right? Like thank you for telling me I'm not enough. Now I'm crying in my seat and I just wanna get out of here. No, 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 no. Okay, now, this is, this is where we have to start so that we can understand the beauty that's coming. Look at verse 24. But to those God called by, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. We have to stop expecting that somehow following Jesus is gonna make all the sense in the world. Now, let me be clear about something. I'm not saying like, oh, following Jesus is just this blind faith. So you just close your eyes to all the things that you're hearing and all the things that you've learned. You just close your eyes and you ignore all of that and you just follow Jesus, even though it doesn't make any sense at all. No, 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 no. Our faith is, has, there is reason to trust our God. We're gonna dig into that actually in a couple of months here and I'm really excited about it as we look at some of these big questions that the world is throwing at us and we are able to see that faith in God has an answer to many of these questions that they're bringing us. And yet, some of us are expecting that our faith in Jesus is always going to make sense that our God would never ask us to do something that's impractical that our God would never ask us to do something that our friends who are not Christians would look at and say like, that's weird. Because no one wants to be weird. No one wants to be on the outside. No one wants to be the one that everyone in the office is saying like, did you hear what, what the heck? No one wants to be that guy. And so we have begun to tell ourselves, my God would not ask me to do something that puts me on the outside. Because how am I supposed to impact my coworkers? How am I supposed to impact my friends if I'm the weirdo on the outside? He would only ask me to do things that make me more strong, more beautiful, more powerful, because that's who the world is listening to. Men and women do not believe the lie. The message of the cross is foolishness 
because the message of the cross elevates a suffering criminal God. This does not mean that God is calling all of us to go to jail. It does mean that he's calling us to do things that the world is gonna look at and say, that's dumb. That's unreasonable. That doesn't make any sense at all. Following Jesus is foolish according to the world's standards. We have a foolish understanding of who our God really is. The gods that our world embrace, the things that the people in our world emulate, the things that they worship, the things that they are willing to give everything up for, it's not suffering. And yet our God stands in direct opposition to that. Following Jesus is foolish because we have a picture of a God who seems foolish. And following Jesus is foolish because it means I have to embrace a belief about myself that seems foolish. Again, I'm a teacher, okay? So I am in the thick of like, what do we need? How do we need to like help our students thrive What do they need to believe about themselves? Every student needs to be able to believe that they can do it. The trouble is not every student can do it. There are some kids who sit through my class, they sleep through my class every single day, which is infuriating, but what can you do? They sleep through my class every single day and they get A's on my tests. That's annoying. But there are some kids who they just have it. Some of you in this room are those people. And there are some kids, they sit in the front, they take every single note, they meet with me after class, we go through study guides together, they take the test and they get a D. Because there are some kids who can do it and there are some kids who can't. But let me tell you what, talking to moms and dads and saying, school is just, it's not your child's sweet spot. There aren't too many moms and dads who love that conversation. Because how dare you tell me that my kid can't do it? My kid is kind, he is generous, and he works really hard, so why isn't he getting an A? Look, I want really badly to be the person who is able to break records in running, but it doesn't matter how hard I try. I am never going to be the one who breaks any record. Because some people have it and some people don't. Now, some of you parents are like, no, don't you sound like my kid's teacher and I'm not liking this right now. Okay, okay, here's the point of why we're talking about this. I want you to see that we live in a culture that does not approve when we begin to talk about the fact that we are not enough. That you need somebody else. We live in the world of the Lone Ranger. We live in the world of American independence and individualism. I don't need anybody else's help. Thank you very much. I'm fine. I can take care of this on my own. The message of the cross says you must embrace a belief about yourself that says, oh, I am not not enough. The message of the cross demands honesty about who we are and how we fall short. The message of the cross demands humility. I am less than enough. 
The message of the cross demands that I run away from self-reliance because only then am I able to actually rely on my God. The message of the cross demands this foolish understanding of who our God is, and it demands a foolish understanding of who we are. And we're gonna conclude just by reading these last few verses in chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose these things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you wanna boast, boast only about the Lord. Following Jesus is foolish because if I'm going to follow Jesus, it demands that I recognize that Christ did not die to make me great. Christ died so that I would make him great. And how often does my frustration stem from the fact that not enough people are applauding me or patting me on the back or recognizing how hard I have worked? And how often is the Lord looking at me very much in the same way that he looked at the Corinthian church and he's saying, you're missing the point. The message of the cross is not the message of the world. The message of the world is we bite, claw, and fight. We promote our accolades and the accolades of the people that we follow so that everyone in the room knows how important I am. And can I suggest to you that if that is the way that you are currently living your life, you are not living your life in line with the message of the cross because the message of the cross says, I lay those things down. It is not about my name being great. It's about Jesus. It's about people looking to him. It's about my life being simply a mirror. It's that someday people don't even remember my name. I hope that you don't walk out of this room talking about Sarah Nepper. That is not what I want. I want you to walk out of this room talking about how great our God is. Because he's the one who died for you, not me. I'm just the messenger. This is who your God is and this is the life that he has called you to. So as we conclude this morning, here's what I want you to think about. What foolish thing is God asking you to do? Whether that's in your job or in your family, what foolish thing is God asking you to do? What decision that if you make it, you know that there will be consequences. You know that your boss will say, I'm sorry, you wanna do what? I'm sorry, you're exposing this thing? I'm sorry, you're trying to have integrity in this area? That's not how we play here. What decision is God asking you to make that by the world standard, it is foolish, but God is saying, this is what it means to walk with me. The message of the cross is foolishness. What attitude change is he asking you to make? 
some of us in this room need to stop talking about ourselves. Some of us in this room need to stop being so offended when someone else's name is brought up instead of ours. And I'm talking to myself on that one. Because it's not about the kingdom of you. It's about the kingdom of him. It's about what can you do to point Jesus to to point people to Jesus. Who cares that they don't remember your name? All you want is for them to remember Jesus. What foolish thing is God calling you to do? And will you today decide, I'm going to stop listening to the wisdom of the world that says I am enough and I need to be strong and instead I'm going to embrace God's wisdom, which is actually foolishness by the world's standards. I'm going to embrace the fact that I am not enough, but my God is. And he has called me to a different kind of life. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this letter to the Corinthians. I thank you for the way that Paul spoke so boldly. The way that Paul wasn't afraid to call the Corinthians out for the things that he, they, were, they were missing, for the things that they had lost sight of, for the ways that they were embracing, not the, the, the wisdom of you, but instead they were falling into the wisdom of the world. And God, it's so easy for us to read this letter and shake our heads and go like, those silly Corinthians missing the boat. Spirit of God, I know that you are in this room today. And so I ask that you would take the blinders off of our own eyes and off of our hearts. Spirit of God, will you convict us today? Because I feel certain, oh, I feel so certain that there is not a man or woman in this room who does not need to be challenged by these words from you. That we so quickly follow the world's standard of wisdom instead of following yours that we are so desperate to be enough, that we're so desperate for everyone else to think that we are enough, that we're so desperate to have a clan of people who follow us and for our tribe to be the right tribe that we've lost sight of the fact that none of that matters because the only reason I have any hope, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the foolishness of the cross that you, God, would suffer and die God, if that's, if that's really what we believe in this room today, if that's the hope that we are clinging to, then I'm asking, Spirit, that you would convict us to become people who live in line with that message. That we stop lying to ourselves and we stop lying to each other and we stop being so worried about our own reputation and we begin to care first foremost and only about yours. That we would remember that you did not die to make us great. You died so that we would make you great. God, will you make Movement Church a place where that is true? Where we are not a place that, that elevates each other. Even like Trigg said this morning, that we're not putting people on pedestals, whether those are, are people who work for the church or people who are volunteer all-stars or people who have done something significant in our own lives and we begin to elevate, 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 elevate. And all of a sudden we've lost sight of the fact that they're only great because you are. There's only change because you're enabling it to happen. God, help us to be a place 
that is not striving to make each other great, but that we are striving only to make you great. And Jesus, will you show us the freedom that we find when we stop trying to develop our own identities and instead we just rest wholly in yours. Jesus, I thank you that I don't have to be enough. I thank you that I don't have to be enough because you're enough. Will you help us to believe that today? In Jesus' name.